Thank you for joining me today for Geezers of Gear, episode number 95. Today's podcast is brought to you by ACT Lighting. ACT is North America's leading distributor and manufacturer of entertainment technology products with award-winning brands including MA Lighting, Ayrton, Chainmaster, Luxibel, AC Power, Robert Juliet, ZachTrack, and MDG, as well as cable and interconnect solutions for virtually any audio, video, data, or power distribution need from Rapco Horizon, Proco, and Roadhog. You probably already know, but the MA3 software is alive and well shipping globally and already being used on massive events everywhere. While the world pauses for the coronavirus, ACT's management team are busy creating the next wave of successful products and promotions while working closely with their dealers and designers to weather this storm. ACT employs team members who are dedicated to providing exemplary service and support and ensuring the show goes on even in the most difficult times. Visit actlighting.com today. Well, hello, and thank you again for joining me today on episode number 95, Geezers of Gear. And so, as you know, we are sitting here in coronavirus hell, uh, COVID-19 hell, whatever you want to call it. We are plagued by a virus that came to us from another country, and I don't know if we'll ever know why or how it came to us, but it certainly has impacted our industry, whether I'm talking to people in Europe or in Asia or in North America, where I reside. Everyone has been impacted by this one, especially in our industry, which has been hit especially hard. And uh, I'm sorry to all of you. I'm sorry to everyone listening for having to go through this. I'm sorry that it's impacted your lives so negatively. I'm sorry that you are not able to act on your passion today and to design and execute and supply amazing, incredible shows or product or whatever it is you do. But know this, we will be back and we will be back very differently. We'll be back big. We'll be back, uh, you know, as passionately and we'll execute on shows even better than we did in the past. So I believe that completely. Um, I do believe that we're not going to go back to normal. I think we're going to go back to a very different state and that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. I think it's actually going to be a very good thing. I think this is a forced evolution. And I've talked about this a lot of times, but, you know, don't let yourself or your business get Ubered. Basically, don't let yourself get run over by something new that's coming in and disrupting you and forcing you to go into a completely different industry. I don't want to see anyone who's listening to this leave this industry and have to go, you know, run a warehouse or go sell kitchen equipment or whatever it is that you might have to do. Um, certainly in the short term, we're all going to have to do some things that maybe we didn't do before. And some of the examples are selling PPE. There's a lot of people selling protection equipment out there because the world needs it. We're capable of delivering it very uh, efficiently and successfully. 
And so people are doing that. And that's okay. That's not a bad thing, but it's short term. This is not what we were born to do. This is not what we've been educated to do. It's not what we're passionate about. It's what we're passionate about today because it's helping pay some bills, but it's not what we're going to be doing six months, three months, 12 months from now. We're going to be back in the business that we love, doing what we love, albeit slightly differently. And so, you know, yesterday we had, on Wednesday, we had uh, the production happy hour, production industry happy hour number four. And so when I started this thing, I had no idea what it was going to become. I just knew that it would be pretty cool to get together with some friends and just talk about what was going on. And what that's become is more than just friends, new friends, people I've never met or talked to before are on this thing now. And yesterday when we did it, we had uh, around 75 people. And I would bet that there's probably going to be 100 or more next week. And um, you know, just from all different parts of our industry, just, you know, a very eclectic group of people, some happy, some really pissed off, some really sad, some depressed. And we're trying to talk to everybody and we're trying to listen to everybody. And, you know, we're trying to stay positive while also, you know, looking at some of the very impactful things that are happening to our industry right now. And so, you know, one of the things that I talked about a bunch on the, on this, uh, which is actually recorded and you can go check it out. It's under episode number 94, I believe. But one of the things I talked about was some of these articles um, that are coming out written or uh, quoted by people who are not in our industry or who have other interests in our industry. And maybe they're CEOs of public companies and they're talking to their shareholders or board members. But for the most part, we're talking about medical professionals or even worse, politicians. And not that there's anything bad about either politicians or medical professionals. They both are, ne- are necessary in, in some sense. But what I don't want is for our industry and the people in it, especially the leadership in our industry, to be listening to what those people are saying and, and running our lives or our businesses based on what they're saying. Since when did the president or the prime minister or the governor or the whatever politician, insert politician name here, since when did we listen to them before we made a change or before we went ahead with something in our business? They are not as smart as us. Go figure. They don't know what we know. We don't know how to run a state, maybe, although I would guess that most of us could do a better job than many of these people are. But they certainly don't know how to run a sound company or a lighting company or how to design for a band or how to put a tour out on the road or whatever it is that you do. They don't know how to do it near as well as you do. They don't know how to do it safely. They don't have the ideas that we have to safely open a show or to run a show where people are not going to get sick. And so these people should not be making decisions for our business. They shouldn't be making decisions for a lot of businesses. Common sense and and personal responsibility should be making those decisions. So it's really beginning to piss me off the direction that some of these articles and these so-called experts are taking things. And sadly, many of you are listening to them. And this is what's really bothering me. Since when, like I said, since when did these people govern our businesses or run our businesses or tell us how to run our businesses? And shame on you if you're listening to them, because I'm not saying to be reckless. I am absolutely not saying to be reckless or to hurt people or to make people sick. What I'm saying is we should be making our own decisions. These people should not be making our decisions. They don't know what they're talking about. So let's get past that and start 
finding our way back to common sense. And like I said, don't get Ubered. Don't, don't sit back with your thumb in your mouth and, and cry about what's happening to your business. Do something about it. Reinvent yourself. Find a way to make a little bit of money today while focusing on a better tomorrow. And one of the things I love to say, and somebody said this to me one day, if you were to restart your business or your job or your career today, based on today's environment, today's conditions, what would you do differently? So think about that for a second. If you were to start your business again today, right now, how would you do things differently? And let's assume that you have to do it in the business that you're in right now. So you can't say, screw it, I'm going into the medical community or food services or whatever. You're going to be in the entertainment production or whatever part of our business you're in. But I'm sure you would do some things differently. And, you know, so I, uh, one of the great things that I just heard, I just got off a conversation with a major lighting designer in our world today who has been asked to design a plot for a major Asian artist who's going out relatively soon. So guess what? The crazy thing about all of this is, is that this virus started somewhere else where they're very accustomed to dealing with this type of a virus. They're not as scared as we are. They don't live in fear like we do of the boogeyman and they're already back to business. And so my company Gear Source actually sold an order in China a couple of weeks ago or last week, I think it was. And so um, China's getting back to work. China's factories are back open. China's businesses are back open. China's people are living very safely though. They're being very cautious. You have to. I'm not saying to go out and go into public without masks or whatever. You got to be smart, but we got to get back at it. Um, you know, another great thing that's happening is top companies out there in our industry are doing some really cool things. And the one I'll pick on today is is Martin Professional. Martin is doing these um, training webinars or seminars or whatever they are, and they are actually paying many of you to run those. And I believe there's actually one today or tomorrow that is being done maybe by Susan Rose. And so they're taking people who are sitting at home, not working right now, and they're giving you a paycheck to come in and run a training seminar for them. That's an amazing thing. Robe is doing some amazing things. Act and Elation are doing amazing things. Companies in our industry are stepping up and we have to continue to support these companies. So Today, to move on here, today I have uh, you know, a really cool guest. By no means is he a geezer. He's one of the younger guests I've ever had on the program. But this is a very dynamic young man who's done things uh, quite differently in his business than most in our industry or any. I don't think I've ever seen anyone do what he's done. Um, one of the things he's done is he, he's established this massive social media and YouTube following um, unlike anyone else I've seen in our industry. I mean, I think he's got like, I don't know how many anymore. I, last I checked, he had, uh, I think he was over 40,000 on Instagram and he's got a ton on YouTube and he's got just a huge number of followers. And every time he says something, thousands of people say attaboy and you know, he's a great designer as well. So join me now and let's bring on Mr. Christian Jackson on Geezers of Gear episode 95. Okay, so welcome to Christian Jackson. How you doing, Christian? I'm doing well. Thanks for uh, having me on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you for doing it. I know uh, 
it's an interesting time right now because everyone seems to have time. So a lot of the people who I used to have to really work hard to schedule, like I've actually been trying to get you to come on for six months. And amazingly, all of a sudden your schedule cleared up for the Isn't last couple crazy? of weeks. crazy? Yeah. yeah. I, I will say though that part of that was purely due to just apprehension of A, going on a podcast called Geezers of Gear. Yeah. When I don't think I would qualify myself for half of that statement. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just just being well. Remember, I guess, like sooner, I said, apprehensive. Sooner Ruthier was on uh, just a few weeks ago, so she's not much mm-hmm. of a geezer either. Yeah, uh, you know. And I've had Tiffany Keys on. I've had uh, 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 Gumper on. He's mm-hmm. not. I don't think he's much older than you. Probably a similar no. age to you. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's a funny thing because geezers, for sure, as far as how I use it, is. Typically, well, here's the funny thing. When I first started this, Geezers of Gear was me and one of my employees were going to talk about gear. And we were the Mm -hmm. geezers. And so then what happened is we had these people going, hey, I want to come on your podcast and, you know, talk about some of the things that I've done with gear or whatever. And they were old. And so all of a sudden they became the geezers. And then I started having young people tell me, like Eric Loader was one of the first ones. Eric said, I can't come on until I'm 50. And so that's why we recorded him on his 50th birthday, because he decided <laughs> geezerdom starts at 50. And um, however, See, I think geezerdom is a mindset, personally. Well, so in the UK, you know, P- geezer is like, dude, buddy, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like a couple of geezers going out to the bar is just a couple of guys <laughs> going out to the bar, to the pub, to get a beer or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And so to us here in North America, geezer is usually an old dude. So, you know, if you'd like, when I upload this podcast, I will make sure to put a disclaimer right at the front end of it that says, by no means is this gentleman any sort of a geezer. You know, he's a young. Hey, I, I wish I wish I could fast forward and, and see exactly where I'm going to be when I, I pass that you know 50 year mark and, and just yeah. like see. I wish I could get that glimpse and see exactly where things end up. You know, I mean, I wish I could just see where it ends up a year from today because hey, it's a valid point. Where we sit right now, you know, uh, you don't have to look ahead to 50 to to figure out what things look like. I mean, I think just mm-hmm. coming out the other end of this thing that we're involved in right now being coronavirus, COVID-19, you know, whatever you want to call it, but um you know, these are interesting times and I know that uh you joined us on on the most recent happy hour thing that I did um yesterday. Yep. And uh you know, some people are really you know, in a pretty down mood over this whole thing obviously. I mean, everyone in our industry is going through hell right now whether you're a manufacturer or a, a rental company, a lighting designer, a front of house audio guy, a roadie, whatever you are. You know, your work has either gone completely or at very least it's shifted into a lot less work or different work or whatever, right? Yeah. And almost always going to be less fulfilling work by definition. Yeah. Well, you know, I was talking to uh, an LD this morning who said, uh, you know, I can't believe that I'm not allowed to design shows right now. You know, like I can't believe that my my drafting table is clear and I can't design anything right now. Yeah. And I understand. I you know, I completely get that that feeling. It's it's uh you know, it's really tough not being able to do the things that you love to do. And 
I don't know. And I mean, then there's the financial aspect of it all and, and you know, how terrible uh, it's impacting some people's lives. So h- how are you dealing with this right now? Um, the, well, I'll speak a little bit to the immediate downsides and the immediate kind of fallout from all of this happening to me personally. Um, this was supposed to be my first Coachella. Uh, we had a whole new stage design uh, for the, one of the artists that I work with, Louis the Child. They're like a pop DJ type act. And um, we just got done with our previous tour and we were coming into our like West Coast slash Central USA version of that tour with a whole new design, um, whole new content. And it's supposed to be like us perfecting everything and having like a really, really good solid tour for once out of the gate. And uh, our rehearsals were supposed to happen the week that everything got shut down. And uh, yeah, so that, that's, you know, that was, (laughs) <laughs> looking back on it now, I remember making comments, which I kind of regret now saying, uh, you know, every single year that I've been doing this, I've had the busiest year of my life. It just continually shifts every single year. This is the busiest year of my life. This is the busiest year of my life. And it's always rang true. And I made a comment in one of my, uh, videos wrapping up last year saying that, Oh, my schedule for 2020 is already booked all the way out through November. Yeah. Oops. And, um, yeah, oops. Yeah. So now it's, it's no longer filled with, you know, travel dates and, and going and, uh, doing shows. It's instead filled with doing things like this or, or yeah. making videos or doing live stream events. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I've been I mean, able I to def- fill that with that. I definitely want to get into the stuff you're doing, uh, with video because I think it's, it's key. And it's also interesting that you've been doing for years, what people are just learning how to do right now out of necessity. And it's kind yeah. of the same for me, you know, like I, I honestly have seen, and I'm not complaining and, and being a little whiner or anything, but I've seen, you know, 10 new podcasts in our industry <laughs> pop up in the past, uh, month. Um, some driven by magazines, some driven by a couple of manufacturers and, you know, that's cool. I mean, if you're bringing people to the podcast medium, that's a very cool thing. I just think they're going to discover it's not quite as easy as they thought it was. Yes, you know, exactly. You're, you're going to end up talking to nobody an awful lot in the very beginning. I remember my first few episodes thinking, well, this is fucking stupid. Yep. <laughs> you know, I'm talking like, to wow, eight people. Wow, I got three views yeah. after two weeks. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Yeah. You know, um, so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's something that you really have to commit to. And podcasting is one of those ones where, you know, most people don't make it past 10 episodes before they give up. And, uh, and so, yeah, you're, you're already doing some of those things that, that people are learning how to do now. Like you and I know zoom inside out, but some of these new people coming in are just learning and going, wow, this (laughs) zoom thing is really cool. And then they don't have headphones on and they're they're playing the audio through the speakers. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, you saw, you saw me struggling (laughs) on this uh, happy hour yesterday just to try and find the person who had the echo. And, and I just will, mute him real quick. <laughs> I will announce <laughs> yeah. that it was Aaron from PRG. And uh, I already talked to him this morning. He reached out to me about something else. And, and I said, by the way, Aaron, can I send you a pair of uh, ear pods of some sort that you can plug into your computer? And he goes, no, no, I have them. I promise I'll plug them in next week. He had <laughs> the worst echo going on. But So yeah. Christian, I know you don't have to think very far back to think of how did you get started <laughs> in this business? Um, well, it's funny you say that because 
it was a very, very gradual thing. I didn't go to school for any of this. I didn't, uh, well, with the exception of one class I took in college, which kind of made me realize that I didn't want to be in college. It's kind of yeah. ironic in that sense. That's funny. Um, yeah, I, I started off uh, in Billings, Montana. I was born and raised. And there were no like major production companies. There were no huge um, events with massive production that I would have ever been exposed to. Um, I had to find that out through, ironically, watching YouTube videos. Huh. Um, so when I was younger, I had a particular taste in trance music. Okay. <laughs> and um, I was doing some research on some of my favorite artists and I just, you know, look up their sets on YouTube. And I saw these videos of uh, festivals in the Netherlands. And this was back in probably 2010, I want to say. Oh, so way 10 back years ago. Then. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it is, it's not like, you know, like I said, this is a very slow burn. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And it's just these massive rooms filled with what I now know is like, you know, 15,000 people, yeah. <laughs> you know, but when, when you look at it as someone who has never seen anything like yeah, that it's, through it's a screen, it's, it's insane. And it's yeah. like, everybody has their phones up in the air recording it. And I'd never seen anything like that. And then the trusses started moving. And I, was like, yeah. I didn't even know what trust was, you yeah. know, it was just all this structural stuff moving in the air. And, but um, this was all on was, YouTube. It wasn't. This was all on YouTube because you were exposed to a live show or a series of nope. live shows. That's wild. Nope. Uh, I saw that and then started uh, just down the rabbit hole. And you know how this is. As as soon as you see the end result of something that you want to achieve, you do the the uh, reverse engineering part of your brain kicks in and you start winding back. Well, okay, well, how can I get to doing that? And you just peel layer by layer back all the way back until you eventually move out to Seattle and get a job pushing cases for Joe Cole at R90 Lighting. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so that's, that's you moved yeah. to Seattle to get a job at a lighting company. Not in so many words. There was probably um, a girl the, involved at some point too. You well, there was a, a there was a breakup. Seattle. There was a breakup with a girl who uh, I was like, well, fine, then I'm just gonna go be way better over here. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> and I don't know whether or not that uh, that actually came to fruition, but mm. um, yeah. So there was uh, Seattle was the the nearest major market to where I was living at the time. Yeah. And I had a few connections and I wanted to do things the real way rather than traveling around with my Chevy 1500 and a 12 foot trailer full of global trust. But you knew you wanted to be in the lighting space. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And all from watching YouTube videos. Yeah. What was your much. first live show that you went to? First live show that I vividly remember, um, I was in high school still. So this was like maybe a year after I had started down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, there was a, uh, I'm, so, I'm sorry if I'm going to, uh, name names that don't come to mind, but, uh, Porter Robinson, Skrillex and Zed who are now three of the top 10 acts for electronic music yep. in the world right now. And, uh, they were all playing a show at the Wilma theater, which is like a 1200 cap room in missoula which is about a six hour drive away from billings okay and i i saw the lineup and i was like oh my god this is a once in a lifetime thing so i drove to missoula saw the show and it's like a basic ground package with uh, a theater rig above you know like six mac 500s and a parkan rig and then a ground package but i had never seen like an edm show in person before and that was the first time 
They had like magic panels and all sorts of stuff that was spinning. And I had no idea what it was at the time. But now that I, I remember that that specific show was the one where I was like, this is so sick. And I a hundred percent want to do this for the rest of my life. Now I can go back and look at it and say, oh, okay, those are magic panels. They were That's using funny. Mac 500s. Of course, at the time I have no idea what any of this is. Yeah. And you're like 17 so. years old or something, right? Yeah. 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 I think I was 17 or 18. I was a senior, I think in uh, high school. Wow. And mm-hmm. so you move out to Seattle, you get a job at a lighting company, you're humping cases and wrapping cable yep. and doing all the hard stuff, right? So you learned how to do it from the bottom. And right. were you just like a really rambunctious young man who was like, you know, put me in coach? <laughs> well, I, I'm a do. very, I'm a very like a um, passive person socially. Uh, it, it might not come across that way either through the screen or through the videos that I do, but um, I'm, I'm very, I'm very cautious when it comes to jumping into things. Huh. I want to make sure like I kind of understand how all the pieces go together just enough so that I, I don't totally fuck it up. Yeah. Um, and then at that point, then I'll, I'll get involved. But yeah, I was taking, uh, I think, I think what you mean, is, and I may have misconstrued it is just taking as many opportunities as I possibly could, um, at the time. So I was taking every gig I could. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, there's, there's a very common theme in our industry. A lot of successful LDs, if you ask them how they got to be successful, one of the things they'll say is they, they were very good listeners, number one. But secondly, they always said yes and figured it out. Yep. And, you know, nobody got anywhere, I think, in any industry by saying, oh, I don't know how to do that, you know. <laughs> saying right. yes and then figuring it out without causing a problem or or a hazard or anything like that. But exactly. Saying yes to everything and then figuring it out, I think is a great thing to teach young kids because, you know, it's it's it just gets you into a lot more opportunities and it makes you a go-to guy, you know, as long as Absolutely. you're not saying yes and then completely, like you said, fucking it up. So, yep. um, yeah, so that's interesting. So, how long how long did you do that before you kind of got your quote big chance to do something that you thought was more along the lines of what you really wanted to be right. doing so cuz i'm guessing you time, didn't dream about you know wrapping cable and and loading <laughs> no, cases no but at the time stuff. i mean you you know that that these are all the building blocks that are going to be necessary for for you to get to where you want to go and i knew it was at the time too like you know i'm fine with addressing up lights in a convention center. Like I knew that it was going to be fine in the end. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there was a period of time after I moved to Seattle, um, where during the daytime, like early morning, waking up at 5am to go do, like I said, convention center calls doing, uh, you know, I know we all, I don't know if we all remember what those were convention center gigs. I think those are going to be gone for a while now, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, waking up super early to do those, doing a full day at the convention center, um, wearing my dress blacks and then heading over and doing um, a shift at the nightclub and learning how to use the, the MA system that they had there. Yeah. So that's pretty much all my life was for two or three years is, you know, gigs during the day, more gigs at night, and then fill in the gaps with trying to learn MA as much as I possibly could. Right. And, and why was that? You just saw MA as being sort of the future lighting control that everybody was going to be using? The, the reason, well, at that point, it, it pretty much already was very, very well established. This was around, I don't want to get into the, well, I guess this is Gears of Gear. So I, I guess yeah. I can get a little nerdy on the gear. Yeah, I want course. to say this was around software version 2.8. Okay. Um, 
was when I started learning it. Um, now we're on 3.9, but that's, you know, nonlinear. Um, but I, I do remember that using MA for the first time, it was a culmination of everything that I had wanted to have in a control software. And I never even knew it existed. Like I just didn't know that MA was a thing until, um, I started using it for the first time at a, a festival that, um, Aaron Altmark, I don't know if you're, uh, familiar with him, no, I'm not. but, uh, he's, uh, he's probably one of my biggest inspirations as far as, uh, designers, operators, business owners. He's, he's one of the, uh, one, of, like I said, one of the hugest inspirations for me. He, uh, was running main stage at one of the festivals out here in the Pacific Northwest. And, uh, this is the middle of the day It's like, you know, 3 PM set time or something like that. And, uh, he's like, Hey, do you know how to run MA? And no, I don't. But I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I can, I can run the show file because mm-hmm. I know the music super well. I know when everything happens. I, I know the structure of the music. If you just show me which buttons to press and which right. faders to move, like, you know, it's a, Can't it's a monkey's job at that point. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, I did mess up with the speed though. Cause I, I couldn't figure out how to, how to reduce the speed masters that he had going on. So everything was going a little too fast. Yeah. <laughs> I, I cringe about that thinking about that every time, but he let me run lights for like 30 minutes or an hour or something for one of my favorite DJs. And, That's um, that was, cool. that was the moment where I was like, okay, this is the interface. This is the brain to reality interface that I've been waiting to discover. Yeah. And of course, you know, MA costs so much money that I would never be exposed to it in Montana. Nobody had that. Like yeah. it just didn't exist. And so that was, that was really the first time where I was like, this is the, this is the little key that unlocks everything that I've wanted to do in my life. Have you ever tried to, uh, I've never asked like sort of a younger designer this, but have you ever tried to go back and like create or run a show using like a Compulite uh, what was it called? Animator, Compulite Animator. I think I'm not called. familiar with that one, but I definitely uh, know Light Jockey, like the back of my hand. Okay, because that was the only thing that I could really purchase and afford at the time. Because uh, I think I bought a one of the knockoff dongles from like Lithu- Lithuania or something. That's funny. Uh, it was like two hundred and thirty dollars on eBay, which was so much money. And I remember staying up uh, late at night in in my room while my parents, everybody was asleep because this auction ended at like 3 a.m. And I'm, it's like a school night and I'm like sitting up on my laptop and this was back before eBay had the like auto bid feature where right. I bid on your behalf yeah. and you had to stay up and wait so that you didn't get your bid sniped. Yeah. And so I was doing that and I won the auction for this light jockey little 2.95 dongle. And three weeks later I got it in the mail and the, the idea of transparent cues to where not every single cue was a snapshot of DMX time. Right. And you could actually have things layered over top of each other. Like, okay, I want this position with this color and this, uh, this dimmer chase. And you could add, you could stack them together. It's like, like and this, this is the key. This is what I've, I've been You were doing this for. stuff in your bedroom though? Yeah. With the mm-hmm. light jockey and what fixtures yep. were you using? Um, at the time I had a pair of Martin SCX 500 halogen scanners. Really? Yeah. It wasn't even discharge. And so this was your bedroom light show. It was a couple of yep. uh, moving mirror fixtures and uh, light Some show. LED pars and, you know, it was, uh, it eventually grew to be a full universe of gear. I eventually got like 
uh, let's see, I, I think I ended up with six elation platinum spot five R's and, uh, like 12 China Sharpies. Oh, wow. You know, <laughs> like it was a decent amount of gear for uh, someone in Montana towing it around themselves. But it's funny, had I known you back then, I could have actually got you a gig in your very youngest days because I have a friend. So I used to work for Martin, uh, well before mm -hmm. your time. And, um, my very first real customer, I think, that I had when I was at Martin was a guy who called from Montana and said, hey, you know, I'd, I need lights and I'd like some help putting it together. And, you know, ever since then, I've been good buddies with this guy. And that was literally probably pushing 30 years ago, like 28 years oh, wow. ago. And uh, his name is Jay Owenhouse. He's a magician. And he's oh, out really? of, okay. uh, he's out of uh, Bozeman, Montana. And I've literally been dealing with this guy over 25 years, and he's actually supposed to be in Vegas starting in a couple of weeks. And of course, that's probably being canceled. I haven't talked yeah, to him fingers in the last crossed. weeks. But he still uses a light jockey to this day. Mm -hmm. um, he's, he's, it's a really interesting magic act because it's a very family thing. He's got a bunch of tigers, but... Um, you know, his kids, like one is the tech director, one is in charge of selling tickets, one is part of the show, yep. one is whatever. And um, so he's got this really beautiful semi rig and uh, like a Prevost bus that the family tours wow. in. And they do smaller venues, they do smaller towns where they don't have a venue. And they bring the stage, they bring everything, and they'll set wow. up like in the local gymnasium in a school and sell 500 tickets in a town where they have never had a show like that. Wow. And it's a major That's a cool magic business act. model. Major magic act with live tigers too, you know? And so wow. he's done very, very well for many, many years now and still runs Martin Lighting that I've been selling him every time he wants to That's change amazing. his show. He calls me and says, can I get more, four more? Like he called me a couple of weeks ago and we needed to sell him another dozen Martin Rush wash fixtures or something. Yep. So um, anyways, funny point that I could have given you a gig with him, you know, <laughs> six, seven years ago, eight years ago when uh, you were looking only. to learn. Yeah. Right. So, um, That's so funny. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because when I talk to younger guys like you who learned on, well, I mean, you learned on a light jockey, but, you know, really from a console standpoint, learned on the MA2. Yeah. I think back to how people had to run moving lights on an AVO desk or an ETC, you know, like two scene fader desk and 4896, yeah. moving lights off of it or triggering. Yep. LCD controllers, high-end LCD controllers, uh, mm. or LED controllers from that console using an analog trigger, where you program a cue on the on the uh, the LCD controller, and then you trigger that cue from your fader desk, right? So, yep. and then you know, woo, we got into some moving light consoles, like Compulite made one, and and there were a few other companies uh, who made them as well. And they were so clunky and shitty and, and not very reliable and crashed a lot and uh, really hard to learn, just really weird syntax and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, then lo and behold, the Hog 2 came out. And that's really where everything changed was when the Hog 2 came out. Have you ever tried programming a show on a Hog 2? I have not. No. Interesting. I've thought about, um, I've thought about doing kind of a, a series on my, on my YouTube channel where basically because I'm a... a a gear idiot like yeah. the rest of us. Mm -hmm. I'm always cruising 
either eBay or gear source or used lighting, any of those places to find like ridiculous deals on obsolete consoles. Uh So like, I'm always, I'm always like, Hmm, this max is, is a thousand dollars. Maybe I should, I mean, the freight is going to be more than that to just get it here. Yeah. But I think it'd be awesome to have a library of physical consoles from through the ages and kind of keep it as a, a historical type thing. Well, I think also for YouTube, like to me, to have a guy like you, who's, you know, a very accomplished MA guy, go back and do a YouTube video of you. Let's say, you know, it's, it's a challenge, like a television show where you've got to go figure out how to program a show on a hog too. And you've got mm-hmm. three hours to do it or whatever. And then to see what that result looks like. I mean, that'd, that'd probably be a really funny video. I like that. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah. So I take full credit for that idea. Thank you. All right, I will. Uh, I'll give you fifty percent of the ad revenue on yeah. all those videos. Oh, geez. Yeah. And how do I pay for the other half of my cup of Starbucks coffee? Oh, yeah. 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 So I will say it's a very slow burn with ad revenue, but once it gets, once you get a good library of videos going, it is a just a cycle that keeps building on itself. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really want to get into that because uh, you know yeah. you've definitely done something that I've never done and have always been curious about. And I know some people who are YouTubers who who have done really well with it, but mm-hmm. um, you know, they're more on the personality side, like where it's like, hey, follow me, I'm gonna go skateboarding. Now I'm gonna go ride my bike. Now I'm gonna talk to these yeah. two girls. That I have no interest <laughs> in. My son watches this stuff where he just follows a guy, you know, like uh Jake Paul and these kinds of guys, right? <laughs> you know, and yeah. It's, so he's a Jake Pauler? He is. Well, he met oh, a few okay. of those guys because he used to be a really, my son is a race car driver, but he used to be also really into scootering. And through that mm-hmm. scooter slash skateboard thing, you meet a lot of those types, especially if you're going to local parks or riding competitions or whatever. Yeah. And so I don't remember the names of these guys, but he'd get his picture taken with these guys going, dad, do you know who that is? And I'm like, no, yeah. no idea. No idea. I yeah. haven't got a clue. And you know, there, you don't feel, I mean, it makes you feel so damn old when, you know, I understand the technology, but I don't really know these people that are using it yeah. very much. So, um, yeah. So take me back. You're in Seattle and you're mm-hmm. working for R90 lighting. And so what happened? Like, you know, again, how did you get your first, um, real opportunity where, where somebody said, Hey, Christian, we need a designer for this show. Are you up for it? Uh, I've honestly only been doing design work for the past like year and a half or two years before that. I only ever did programming and it's, it's probably pretty common. I don't know for sure, but it sounds like a pretty common thread where people who end up being a designer, they start off as like we all did pushing cases. Then they be, they become a console jockey for a while. And then they kind of get into the point where they're like, well, man, I'm pretty sure I could design these shows. Like, I'm pretty sure that I have the the acumen and like the, just the, the, for, the mental fortitude to not totally fuck this up yeah. and draw a simple plot. So I've only been doing that semi recently. And, uh, my first, uh, major design gig was the last tour that, that I did with Lewis the child. And you know, it was like a 10 or 12 universes of, of lights, big ground package, video wall. Um, so pretty detailed. What about your first big programming gig then? First big programming gig would have been for, 
it would have been for one of the uh one of the music festivals up here um I don't know if you're familiar with uh sasquatch music festival it's kind of dead now no but um uh that was another uh, another like joe cole gig where he was like okay you actually know ma now um do you want to be the house ld for the b stage at sasquatch oh wow so that was the first time where like you know i'm the guy who is not necessarily calling the shots but i'm the guy who is in charge of making sure that this stage looks like the renderings do and yeah. make sure that all of the guest LDs, when they come in, they have all of the information. And it's scary when all of these pros are coming through and you're like, I think at the time I was 22 or 23 uh, and all of these professionals are coming in with their big crowd packages and they need to interface with you and make sure their show goes well. So that was like the first time I was like, okay, I'm really doing this for real. Like this is, if I screw this up, this could be, you know, I no longer get any more gigs. Yeah. Or if I do this well, and thankfully I did, then it leads to more work as a house LD for festivals. Um, and that's pretty much where it went from there. Then I became like the, one of the two or three uh, go-to guys in Seattle for festival LD oh, wow. gigs. Yeah. So were you super intimidated when you got that gig and you were, you know, the guy sort of liaisoning with all of the touring LDs and. Yeah. I mean, thankfully I didn't have to do a whole lot of advanced work at the time. Um, that was mostly handled by the stage manager. So I didn't have a whole lot on the front end to worry about, but um, that was the first time where there were all sorts of crazy protocols going back and forth. Like, okay, this guy wanted to do an ArtNet merge and then this guy has a ground package that they brought their own NPU for. And it was the first time where I kind of got to really test my understanding of, of the whole control system. Yeah. And, uh, and it went, it went great. And I learned, I learned a lot in the process as well. And I still continue to every day as, yeah. as we all do. Yeah. I mean, you seem very sort of deep into like, even when you talk about when you got that first uh, light jockey and, uh, you know, went and found the, the illegal dongle and, and, uh, <laughs> you know, you're, you're a gear guy and you're, you're definitely probably, uh, very much on the sort of gear geek or nerdy si side of, of the mm -hmm. gear and figuring things out. How does it work? Why does it work? What's the best way to use it? Those types of things versus coming in sort of from the art side of things. And Absolutely. I mean, another thing that's, that's, I think a little unusual about you compared to a lot of, um, younger lighting people is so when I go back to designers that I talk to a lot on this podcast from like the 70s and 80s and 90s a very high percentage 90 percent maybe even more came into this business by accident um, mm -hmm. not because they went to school for it you know back then right. first of all there really was no school for rock and roll touring lighting design or whatever <laughs> right so no what, full sale back then. No, there was no full sale, but there really wasn't even great, uh, you know, technical theater school and things like that back then. So a lot of times what was happening is, is, you know, you just knew somebody who knew somebody who said, Hey, do you want to go out on the road with, you know, Judas priest? And next thing yep. you know, you're out with a heavy metal band, you know, wrapping cable or pushing, pushing gear around. And, um, 
so, but now most people who are coming into it are coming in through either theater school or full sale or those types of technical colleges that are teaching lighting design. And so you're coming in a lot more educated for this business, but you really learned it sort of hands-on as opposed to in school. So I, I think it's kind of unique. I mean, I'm sure there's still a lot of people kind of coming into it like that, but, um, but it's, it's funny you say that. I, I feel like it's still, I don't think maybe the ratio is as you said it was way back then, but I still think I would say, uh, probably 70% of people, at least who I know, other designers, other programmers, they didn't go to school for it either. Really? And hmm. yeah, yeah. So maybe, I mean, it, it maybe we just run in different circles, but yeah. I don't know for sure. Well, I'm just thinking like if I, if I talk to, uh, you know, 10 major lighting designers that are under 40, mm -hmm. um, most of them will have taken some sort of technical uh, lighting um course interesting at some point okay it, it just seems that way like you know from my era it was more either you were a club guy a club lighting guy or a club dj who learned how to run the lighting controller or you were a musician was very common and you know you you weren't the greatest musician and you ended up being a lighting guy and uh you know i don't i i don't know if you've heard any of my podcasts but like um, Howard Ungerleiter, Rush's guy for over 40 years. Mm -hmm. Howard was a musician and then went and got a job at an agency. And, um, you know, he had been begging this agency to book his band. And they just kept saying, Howard, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. And then finally he was like, well, can you give me a job then? And they were mm -hmm. like, get out of here, get out of here. And finally they gave him a job, like going and getting people coffee and stuff. Yep. And then he worked his way up to where he booked a couple gigs and he was kicking ass, really. And they said, hey, Howard, we got this little band in Canada that uh, <laughs> needs a guy to come out and help him out. Can you know? Do you want to take the gig? And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. And it was this little unknown band called Rush. And, and right. you know, he's driving the van through snow and freezing cold in Canada and thinking, what Amazing. the hell did these guys send me to do? You know, and that became like a you know, 45 year career or whatever with Rush. That's so, incredible. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little bit different. And so now are, are you completely independent or do you still work with mm -hmm. R90 today? You're, you're completely I'm independent, independent now. now. Yeah. I, uh, I'll occasionally, if they're in a pinch for, um, some festival house LD slot, like, um, this, I, I did a video on this show, uh, Bumbershoot back when we did shows. Um, that was like the most recent and I usually end up doing one or two gigs a year for them now. Um, and they're kind enough to continue to issue me as a, a W2 employee instead of 1099 ing me. So, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. So, um, but you don't have a gear company, do you, or do you? No. Oh, okay. Well, I have a, I have a, a sole proprietorship where I rent out like my console or, yeah. um, uh, I've got some DJ gear too. So backline rental is, uh, or was a, a pretty good secondary income source. I see. Um, just because I know a lot of people who, who do these DJ tours and they always need the same exact gear. Yeah. There's no, there's no variation in it at all. Yeah. I can buy 10 of the same unit and they're all fungible. They can all be interchange with another and they yeah. just go out and make money and then they come back. That's cool. And so yeah. which, which MA console do you have? Do you have a three yet or is it still a two? No, I have a two. Okay. I know I'm uh, living in the past. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can get away with that today, <laughs> you know, who knows a year yeah. from now, cause 
it happens, it seems to happen suddenly where, you know, maybe MA will come out with this incredible new feature that's no longer backwards compatible. Yeah. And then the price of the two console goes like this, just like the <laughs> one, the one held on for a long time. And then it just, <laughs> it fell off a cliff and now you can buy them for like a couple grand or whatever, probably yep. a thousand bucks. You could find one. Yeah. So, there's a couple Picos on eBay for a thousand bucks right now. Oh Jesus. Yeah. That's crazy. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think you'll probably end up working out a deal with someone to get you into a three out of that too, right? That's the thing, though. I, uh, I I don't I don't try to do stuff like that. I don't um I don't try to get special deals on anything for like exposure or or me just making posts about like I just I I, I have that as like kind of a personal um personal moral. I don't want to say like code of ethics or whatever, yeah. but I want I don't want to be given any advantages you don't want to intrinsically no i don't want to i don't want to owe anybody anything i'm yeah. one of those i'm one of those crazy guys who has like no personal debt the only the only bill that i have is like you know food water and the rent that i pay in yeah. this place because i can't afford a house yet yeah i don't have any other debt well that looks so good right like, now oh, it that does definitely look good. looks it good right good. now well done on <laughs> yeah. that one but yeah i mean it, you know maybe after the podcast we should talk about that because i think you could absolutely get by without owing anybody any favors and still find your way converting into a i noticed there's a uh there's an ma3 light on uh, gear source right now i have the i have the tab pulled up right now oh um yeah i mean you know right now gear source has been really focused on this concept that we're calling daily deal where we're really trying to focus the company just selling one piece of gear every day as opposed mm-hmm. to, hey, we've got these 10,000 listings over here. We're trying to focus around one deal a day and just keep the people busy and keep people employed. I haven't laid off anyone. And, and uh, that's amazing. You know, it's, it's been a pretty good thing so far. So I want to talk about YouTube here for a bit and, and just Let's social media in general, because, you know, one of the things and the reason I reached out to you be, to begin with was because I didn't know anything about you. You just kind of dropped into this planet and, had 45,000 followers or whatever it was, you know, and I'm like, who the hell is this guy? Mm-hmm. And so I went and talked to Eric Loader about you and he said, yeah, he's a good guy, young guy, you know, up and coming, good designer, talented guy, but yeah, he's got this huge following on social media. And so it, it's interesting because you just explained how you started. You learned the business basically by watching YouTube videos. That's that's mm-hmm. where your passion came from. That's where your desire to get into the lighting business came from watching concert videos on YouTube. And, you know, that went kind of full circle to where you're still using YouTube as a tool now to promote what you do and to promote your business, but to help other people yeah. as well, right? So yeah. um, how did that all happen? Or was it just completely organic? It just, you know, it just followed the it's way pretty that organic. Yeah. It's funny because um, you can you can look back and you can scroll through all the way to the bottom of any of my accounts and you can see how pathetic it it starts. It yeah. is just like it's it's very cringeworthy and very um, uh, very rudimental from the beginning. And then just over time, I just you know posted what I'm doing and what I'm involved in. And um, as I mean, I. I'm pretty sure it's hundred percent organic. I didn't do anything to, <laughs> to, to boost it necessarily, but it originally started off as, um, more of a, a, a project or, um, a tool for me to get better at, uh, like social interaction because I'm a very, very 
socially nervous and um, anxious person in general. Which is uh, bizarre because you've put yourself out there so much on, on yeah. YouTube and stuff. Yeah. So and it makes it hard to, uh, to still kind of reconcile with how I still feel a lot of the time inside. And I, I don't want to get like all, all whiny, like you said, um, <laughs> but it's tough because people make a lot of like assumptions about the type of person that I am based off of um, the things that I post and the way I um, project myself, which, Hey, in, in their defense is, is totally my, my bad. Like if I present myself in a certain way and I'm maybe not exactly that way in real life, then I guess that is a, that well, is a, a valid criticism. I think people think that if you're putting your, uh, yourself out there that much and you're, you're doing that many videos and they're getting that many views and you're recording mm -hmm. like walking to the gig, being at the gig, you yeah. know, working during the gig, loading out the gig, whatever, you're recording all these things. You must be just a completely arrogant, self-centered, A-type totally. prick, of right? Course. And yeah. the you worst. Know, knowing you the tiny little bit that I've got to know you, you're the opposite of that. You know, you're not that at all. You're you're a very laid back, very quiet, very passive, like you said, very socially passive person who mm -hmm. just happens to, you know, be super into, you know, recording these things for YouTube. Yeah, I think it's um it's also kind of a way for me to I, let me let me put it this way. The videos I make are directed at the 18-year-old me right? Yeah, I can see where that. I'm, I'm creating the stuff that I would have loved to see and what would have given me that little, that ledge, not a full ladder to climb up, but just that ledge to see what's on the other side of, um, of these stages and, and yeah. see how, how it all goes together. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can totally see that. I can totally see that you're kind of playing to your crowd, you know? And, mm -hmm. and, um, so, I mean, when you first started doing that, it was just a very natural thing, right? It's like, well, I better put this on YouTube. And <laughs> you weren't necessarily looking to become a YouTuber at, right at that moment or to gain an income from it or to, you know, you probably weren't getting any ad revenue in the early days, I would guess. No. Let me hang on. I, I'm really curious. Well, keep, keep going on. I'm going to see if I can pull up what the revenue was for those years. Oh, that'd be funny. Yeah. And I mean, I'd love to see your very first video. That'd be funny, too. You know? Oh, it's not good. I mean, I can, I can link it to you. It actually, ha it's a, it's a, a DJ gear tutorial. And Is it it's really? really, oh, it's oh, It's so bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when I leave it up because you have to leave your first, you have to leave your first of anything up. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's, it's all like, I mean, you know how many people I tutor on doing a podcast and who spend six months setting their podcast up three months mm -hmm. coming up with a logo, two months figuring out what gear to use. You know, I think I recorded my first podcast. I don't even remember. It might've been on my cell phone. And then uh -huh. I went from that to just recording into the microphone on my laptop once I figured out how to use GarageBand. And then mm -hmm. it went from that to having a $50 Audio-Technica microphone. And, you know, the gear just kept getting better as I understood what I was doing. And I just wanted a little bit better sound quality. But I mean, I listen to some podcasts that that have millions of listeners that have half the gear that I've got. Yeah. And they don't have a, a logo. Phone, that's yeah. it. Basically. Or they yeah. I mean, there's an Australian guy that I listen to who has millions of listeners and he still does it. He puts his phone in the center of the table and there's a guy on the other side of the table and they're doing an interview yep. across from each other. 
and that's his podcast, you know, and, but that's what podcasting was supposed to be. It wasn't supposed to be this polished done in studio kind of thing. Right. Right. So, you know, even Joe Rogan, who would be silly enough to (laughs) do something like that. That's funny. That's (laughs) funny. No, but I mean, even Joe Rogan, who's of course the biggest there is in podcasting, I think Mm -hmm. anyways. Um, but, it's very raw. It's very unpolished, even though, yes, he has a producer and yes, they do a lot of editing and stuff that I don't necessarily do. But, you know, I mean, to me, it's supposed to be a pretty raw format. And so, you know, there's nothing wrong with your first video being stupid. There's nothing wrong with getting 10 listeners on your first podcast. None of these things are bad things. And what you got to do is you got to persevere. You got to keep going. You got to push forward. Because, you know, I don't know what the stats are today. Probably it's similar on YouTube as it is on podcasting. But podcasting, I think it's like, you know, nine out of, or eight out of 10 podcasters never get past 10 episodes. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's sad because, you know, I mean, unless you're just boring. Like if it's two ladies sitting talking about cooking, there's probably already a million of those out there. Nobody wants another cooking thing unless you're doing something so outrageous or different that nobody yep. else is doing, you're probably not going to get any, you know, legs under you. You got to have something relatively Absolutely. unique, right? So, so you know, you started this this YouTube thing, and at what point did you start going? Hmm, I'm getting some traction here. Um, let me look here. I believe. Well, did you feel it? No. Or was it all just based I still on don't feel it. The... I'm still waiting for it. What do you mean? Really? <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. No, I think, I think, um, no, I, I really, there's, there's that, there, I still haven't had that moment where I feel like this relief, like, okay, wow, this is like actually going to be okay. Yeah. I, don't, I still don't feel that. I don't, I don't count on any of it ever being a, a permanent source of, uh, you know, either career or fulfillment. Yeah. It's purely, it's purely a way for me to document what is currently going on in basically my work life, because I, I don't want to say it's like a, a lighting channel or like a, uh, you know, anything like that. It's not specific like that. I mean, my channel name is my, per, is my own name. It's not like, you know, some company name, right? It's just me experiencing my journey through the different things. Like if you see the start of my videos, I'm doing these really awkward DJ gear tutorials, telling someone how to use, a piece of gear that has a, a 10 page user manual. Yeah. Like it, it, it's stupid. Like it makes no sense. And then, you know, yeah, I found, I found footing in uh, doing these lighting videos and, and kind of serving as a pseudo mentor for a lot of people who were in my shoes, who didn't have the resources or, um, you know, even awareness of what any of this is. But it's got to be going beyond a lighting crowd because the thing is, if you're getting 40, yeah. 50, 100,000 views or whatever, <laughs> there's not that many there, of us. There yeah. ain't that many lighting <laughs> people out there. Trust me, I've been in the lighting business a long time selling to these people and yeah. there ain't that many of them. Yes, there, there are a large number, especially if you're talking about like the, you know, the bedroom uh, or garage enthusiasts who just have a light jockey and two moving mirror fixtures. You know, there's right. probably a, a much larger number of those out there. Um, but you know, I mean, you've got to have gone beyond the lighting crowd. I think you're right. It's hard for me to really, um, 
it's hard for me to measure that except for when people make comments on the video specifically, like the, the Instagram and like uh, Twitter and stuff like that, that is almost hundred uh, percent lighting people yeah. uh, from what I can tell. But the videos, like the way, the way that YouTube recommends videos and the way it propagates your video through other communities of people who maybe it's just one person from this other section of the Venn diagram of YouTube that watched my video for an extra 10% than any other type of video, it instantly recommends it to everybody else who is in that other circle. Really? Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's phenomenal how, how many people I see in the comments, like they, 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 this is, and I comment this a lot on videos that I find randomly too. I'm like, I don't know how I found this. I don't know how YouTube managed to figure out which, which uh, synapses fire to give me the right amount of dopamine dopamine that made me enjoy this video, but they figured it out and they served it to me. Yeah. And, and that's where I say, I have to, uh, I have to make sure that I embrace that rather than be afraid of it. Yeah. Um, because the, the biggest, the, the biggest videos that get that reaction where people are like, I didn't even know this was a thing. I, you know, I don't know anything about lighting. Why do I, why did I watch this for 30 minutes? Yeah. It's the videos where um, I'm actually like on a show site doing something. It's not a tutorial where I'm sitting there with like, you know, a button down shirt and a clean white background saying, welcome to today's video where we will be talking about how to write a cue. It's like none of that stuff. Like I do have videos like that and it's kind of a bread and butter type thing where they're there for the core audience. But the broader audience is reached by having the, the relatable um, the relatable videos where I'm actually going and talking with people or visiting a manufacturing facility, stuff like that is what really entertains people. Yeah. I mean, but we're, we're in a cool industry and we're also yeah. in one that I think, you know, everybody's been to a concert and I'm sure a percentage of those people, those kids who are going to see an EDM festival or something, they're going, I wonder how they do that. So mm-hmm. I think some of it is that curiosity that's just being, you know, fulfilled where they're going, whoa, Christian's showing us exactly how they put that rig together or exactly how yep. those lights go up or hang or, you know, what's actually involved. And, you know, I know I'm a, I'm a Formula One junkie and a lot of times I end up on these weird sort of down the stream racing videos or mm-hmm. how they did it kind of videos and it's the same kind of thing, you know, it's because I'm So you watch Chain Bear. Are you, are you subscribed to Chain Bear? I don't know. He's, I, he, does, he does a Formula One analysis and um, like really technical videos with like exploded drawings of, yeah. of how different components work. Probably, probably. You know, I mean, I only have so much time to dedicate to that yeah. stuff, <laughs> sadly, because I still have yeah. a life and I still have two companies or three companies and I mm-hmm. have employees and all of these other things. But, you know, I mean, it, it's really exciting to me what you've done on the So And, you know, so I'll give you a perfect, you know, right here at home example, because I do nothing with social media, as you can see, you've probably mm-hmm. checked me out before you came on. And I, I have did. very small followings on everything. You know, Instagram, the funny thing is, yesterday I started the day, Geezers of Gear, I started the Instagram recently, have done nothing to add followers, and I only had about 225 followers, I think, at the beginning of yesterday. You posted something yesterday, and by the end of the day, I had 300 followers. Hey. You know, you you added like 40% or 30% followers to my my Instagram followers. I'll send you an invoice. In, in one day. 
And so that that says something about what you've built. And and the funny thing is, none of them were bullshit spammy followers because I poked. Yeah. I just randomly went through, and it was so and so lighting guy, so and so lighting guy, this audio guy. And yep. so you know, those are are high quality followers. And uh, so you know, you've you've definitely done something really good. And and next, if you could help me on YouTube, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing on YouTube. Hey, it's just like what you said with, with podcasting, where if someone just literally has a phone set on, uh, to record in the middle of a table between two people talking, as long as the, the content is unique Mm -hmm. and it has somewhat of an audience, it'll get legs. Like I promise you you don't need, like I, over the years I've upgraded gear and I just spent a lot of money upgrading my live streaming setup so that I can, I can, I, I don't have to do editing. It's just all done live. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the gear, like the gear part of it and the setup, it, it's just iterate. It, the only thing that matters is making iterations on what you've published. And I've been yeah. trying to, I've been trying to convince my girlfriend cause, um, she wants to start a channel too. And she does like uh, really, really fancy makeup uh, techniques, things like that. And she keeps making these videos, but never publishes them. Oh. And I'm like, you need to like, you need to just, upload it just please i promise you yeah. like it it doesn't matter as long as you're just creating and iterating yeah but see for me it's not that it's not that i'm afraid of publishing things cuz i you know i don't know if you noticed on on youtube but what i'm doing is basically like these either either just my podcast episodes or these um happy hours we're doing for this covid thing very very important stuff but i'm yeah. just doing it so that people have a an ability to go back if they weren't able to make the call or it's a record. It's, it's just to go back and what was that thing we were talking about and to go back and be able to, to reference it. Um, but I mean, they're getting no views. And so, you know, I guess my thing is going to be to try and figure out how to get from no views to at least enough so that there's some momentum started. Yeah. And, you know, I know how to do that in podcasting. I definitely don't know how to do it on, on YouTube. Uh, I know how to do it on Facebook and, and I know how to do it on Instagram if you want to spend money. But, right. you know, to me, that's all fake. It's not worth it. Buying followers it's all and, fake. and uh, you know, buying Instagram ads and stuff is stupid. But, mm. um, yeah, I mean, what you've done is incredible. It, it really is. It's it's super cool. You're the only guy, I think, in our industry. I mean, you're certainly the top YouTuber in our industry, I would think. Yeah, um, I think so. There's a, I, I've been this is actually kind of a point that's bugged me because I feel like, um, I feel like it makes me lazier that there's no one else who's really kind of doing what I'm doing. I wish there was a selection of people who could push each other because, um, like, you know, we all, we all have our own circles of interest. And one of my interests is, uh, aviation and flying. Mm -hmm. And that's a relatively small community too, but there are hundreds, if not thousands of, YouTubers out there publishing videos about, Hey, we're, uh, you know, doing this trip and here's my flight plan. And this is our, our whole journey as we do it. And they're only getting like 200, 500 views, sometimes a thousand, but they're publishing like every single week. And there's an insane amount of competition, which only drives the, you know, the top 10 people. It pushes them to go even higher and put more production quality into it. So like, I just wish there were more people doing videos about production and not just like, product announcements. Yeah. I get, it gets, it gets old. It gets boring. I can read a spec sheet. I don't need some fancy graphic with animations to tell me how many lumens your new moving light has. Yeah. 
No, I and I mean you're you're. By the way, do you know Lieberman, Steve Lieberman? Yep. Yeah. I don't know him personally, but I've uh, I've been a guest LD uh, most recently at ADC Mexico. Okay. He was a house LD there. Because you know he's a big uh, fly nut. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's got a plane and and uh, that that's where I want to be. When yeah. I, that's remember how I was talking about. I wish I could see into the future. That's like my 35 years old self. Yeah. I see that as being like a. a a copy of Steve Lieberman and at least his lifestyle at least. Yeah. Well, I knew, cool. I knew Steve Lieberman when he was much younger and, um, you know, it wasn't always so glamorous, put it that way. So, yeah. you know, I knew him when he was a struggling club lighting guy in New York city and, wow. uh, you know, was going nowhere and, you know, things happened. He's a hustler. He's a hard worker and things started to happen for him and he got a couple of opportunities and and made good on them and god bless the guy i mean he's created a really really amazing career from being just a scruffy you know scrappy <laughs> scrappy uh lighting guy in new york clubs and mm -hmm. uh there's a few of those guys out there you know uh, uh gumper has a really cool backstory um and and my meeting with gumper was a good one was a funny one because i remember this young kid he probably was 16 years old came up to me at uh at ldi and i was i believe i was with martin at the time i was with martin at the mm -hmm. time and he said um i want to buy 12 lights from you and i want to be your biggest rental company in new york and i'm like really kid and, you know, but I'll tell you, I'm one of these really curious guys, especially at trade shows where I don't just blow people off and say, get out of here. You're, you're a punk. Yeah. I say, how are you going to do that? You know, tell me your story. Tell me your, your, uh, your business model. What's your business model look like? How, how are you going to become the biggest? And he mm -hmm. had such a cool story and such a cool plan that he put forward that we caught him a deal and sold him these 12 lights that he wanted. And <laughs> guess what? In not too lengthy of a time, he became one of the largest Martin rental houses in the, in the New York market. Wow. And so, and as you know, he's done very well since then, you know, with his, mm -hmm. his mega structures and all that stuff. So I'm a big fan of, of, you know, guys like that who are hustlers and, you know, who didn't come in through theater school and they found a way like you, you know, to sort of carve their, their, uh, their niche into the business. But I am going to pick your brain on YouTube one day and figure out how okay. to get users. Let's do it. <laughs> Because you figure out how to get me an MA3 light and I'll figure out how to get some followers on, on YouTube. Well, I think both of those can be easily accomplished. <laughs> and so I'm going to ask you some of the funny questions that probably don't pertain to you at all that I actually ask every single guest that comes okay. on my podcast. Um, and you being younger, uh, the answers to these are probably going to be very different and somewhat funny. So um, first, what is the best piece of advice you've ever given or received? Oh, best piece of advice given or received. <sighs> and I know you're only like 19 years old, so <laughs> I'm 27. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like, it's not like you've had a long time to have really sat on that advice. I'm going to, I'm going to have to do a rain check on that one. Cause I I'm kind of stumped right now. Really? I honestly can't. Yeah. I can't really think of a specific piece of advice. Is there um, nothing like when you're, when you're stuck on something on a show or whatever, isn't there something that you go back to and go, what would Bob do or whatever? Oh, uh, I mean, it's more of like an adage. Yeah. It's just, you know, like the, the light, the money and keep it simple. It's, it's, 
breaking things down into its basics and not getting too complex, but that's just more like a, that's just more general advice. I can't no, think of any specific that's good advice. That's great yeah. advice. Um, in our industry, one of the coolest things, and you know, I know you're really into the gear and stuff, but you also have to every once in a while go, wow. And so I think in our industry, like, you know, there's so many opportunities to meet rock stars or pop stars or whatever, <laughs> to, to be standing on a stage where the Rolling Stones gear is right behind you and you're saying, check, 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 you know, <laughs> um, or whatever, right? And so mm -hmm. what, at this point in your very young career, what is your biggest career pinch me moment? Oh, uh, the pinch me I'm dreaming moment? Yeah. I think... There have been a few like that, but I want to say, well, it, it could be two things. There could be like the pinch me, I'm in a nightmare or pinch me, I'm dreaming. <laughs> Tell I me have both. answers. I have answers for both of those. Yeah. Uh, the, probably like uh, the pinch me nightmare moment was um, just last year. I was doing a show with, with Zomboy and it was the first major festival where we were trying to have... Or someone with a very loud vehicle outside. My apologies. No, um, no we were trying to integrate uh, video, lighting, lasers, everything in in one show, and it we didn't have enough time or budget to fully flesh everything out in previs, and we just didn't have enough time to do all the programming. And it was kind of a punt show, regardless. And we showed up, and the changeovers. I don't know if you're familiar, but the changeovers in dance music are on the order of 30 seconds to 45 seconds. Mm -hmm. And this was a headline slot. And I go to load up the con computer that translates um, the CDJs, the, the DJ players on, on the stage to time code. And it wasn't working properly. And I'm fine with the MA. I can troubleshoot that in 2.2 seconds and it's no problem. But we were using this whole new system for time coding the visuals and the lighting together. And I ended up having to busk every other song, Ugh. which was not how it was supposed to be. And it was the longest, I think it was a 90 minute set. It was the longest like 90 minute set of my entire life. Probably the worst show I've ever done. Wow. Um, now that one keeps me up at night, yeah. but uh, pin pinch me. I'm dreaming. Um, I don't get starstruck. I know I, I'm, I'm one of the weird guys. Like I really, I'm like one of those really socially weird people that I don't get starstruck. I try to think of everybody as um, their own person. I don't. I don't yeah. judge that. I, I can't know anybody, so I, I don't get starstruck by um, by individuals like You're that. Just there to do your job and do it the best. Yeah, you I can, re right? it really like seriously. As as weird as that sounds, I know some people do like the 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 flashiness of everything, and they like you know the feeling of the big crowds. I I hate crowds. Yeah. I, I hate being. I'm enjoying this isolation. I, I would much rather just be by myself than in a sea of people. But yeah, well, that's, and I, that's why believe it or not, stuff. believe it or not, even though I'm spending all of my days talking publicly to people or talking on podcasts or talking on webinars or talking on all of these things, I'm the mm -hmm. same way. You know, I'm uncomfortable in crowds. I'm uncomfortable in a group of people. And mm -hmm. So, you know, for me, maybe this is similar to what you were saying on the YouTube videos. Maybe this is somewhat of a, you know, a release or a whatever you want to call it. I mean, maybe it just strengthens me to be able to do these things to where I feel like it's okay to, you know, be around a bunch of other people or something. I don't know. 
Yeah. But so is there a piece of gear that you cannot do a gig without? <laughs> I mean, it really is the the MA. Like, well, I mean, I can do, if there's a console there, I can do that. I can do a show. I, yeah. I'm not like, I'm not an idiot when it comes to other lighting consoles. Like I can program other. But if you're leaving consoles. your shop and you only get to take one piece of gear with you. I have to carry it physically. No, you're going too deep into this, Christian. <laughs> Quit asking stupid like, questions like, and just freaking uh... answer me, will you? <laughs> it's the, the, it's the MA2. It's the yeah. MA2. Yeah. yeah it, it has to be. Yeah. Either that or um, laptop and a camera. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a camera, I would think, is pretty important. Do you usually yeah. use a camera or do you use your phone when you're doing videos? Depends. Um, when, I, when I come back uh, from doing a weekend of shows, I'll usually have like three or four different sources of video. So it'll be, um, the phone's always in my pocket. So if for whatever reason, I don't have the camera, um, I can use that real quick because um, yeah. some footage is better than no footage. Yeah. Right. Well, and you know, I, I bought a camera because everyone said I had to, if I was going to do any YouTube stuff at all. And, um, is that sitting back there? Is yeah, that on your tripod? Back? Yeah. Canon G seven X or whatever. GX seven. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you use? What camera do you use? What's your like, um, go-to blogging this camera? This one is this guy right here. Okay. So this is a Sony A7 Mark III. Okay. It's a little less. With, um, it's a little less unassuming than uh, my little tiny yeah, Canon. It is. It's yeah. very in your face, and yeah. um, I have that one. And then I recently bought the the mini version of that. Okay. It has the same. It, it it's basically a really good B camera for when I don't want to have that big thing yeah. in someone's face, yeah. that's a little more discreet. But, but yeah, when I'm you're a, like walking guy. around recording your steps and, and you're on a stage <laughs> and walking around the stage it's and the stuff, big camera, you're carrying that big camera. Yep. Really? For the most part. I mean, yeah. I've got the little GoPros and stuff for, um, I'm a real, I'm a real big geek about image quality, um, both with photo and video. And, so I've just done a ton of research and finally gotten to the point where I have like all the settings where, where I want them. And I've got like a, a workflow that gives me the best result, I think. And uh, yeah, it's just using the right tool for the job. So if I need to strap it, if I need to put a camera on a moving light, the big camera doesn't go on there. The little one of the GoPros does, or, yeah. you know, I use the phone for some, some of that stuff. And so like a hundred percent of your day, are you walking around with like a Go, no. GoPro strapped to your head or your chest or something? No, I mean, it depends on the day. If it's like an outdoor festival, it really depends on like how much physical work I have to do. If, um, if I'm like, I need to be on deck building stuff, I'll just put a GoPro on the chest and I'll usually have a hoodie on and it just like, you can kind of barely see it pop out. But people um, know it's there because they know Christian, right? People, yeah, I mean, people can assume, um, or sometimes I'll like, I'll hide a GoPro, like, you know, 15 feet up on side stage and then just aim it at the stage. So at least there's like some, something I can like either time-lapse. It doesn't have to be like, oh, you know, here, look at me, everybody. I'm yeah. doing this thing. You know, it can still be contextual of the actual show that we're doing. But do people ever get sketchy with you on the, uh, you know, Christian, I don't want you recording me. I've never had anybody like specifically ask that, but I tend to not put it in people's faces just as a general rule. Only I've only recently with friends who I'm like very close to um, and who know what I'm doing and who I've spoken about it privately with. Um, and by the way, if there's anybody watching who is like, I didn't like that you 
put me in a video, just let me know and I can um, make changes to that. But yeah, yeah, for the most part, people know and um, most people are supportive of it. And uh, yeah. So how much time are you spending on editing in a day? Like, is it a couple hours a day every day or? So to give you, well, now. Um, yeah, now it's a lot heavier, I would guess. It's a lot heavier now. Um, but back when, you know, I was touring and doing bus gigs uh, or doing flight dates, any of that stuff, uh, every, every show that I do a video for, like those long format, you know, 20 minute vlog style, if you want to call it that, it comes out to about 30 ish hours of editing work Damn. for that wow. video. Um, and, and it's probably just because I'm not very good at it. Yeah. <laughs> I need, I just need, I'm sure I could get it trimmed down, but, well, or you're just really super anal about it, you know, like where you yeah. got to get it right. Like you're really dialed into getting it proper. Yeah. It's, it's, I've tried hiring people too, and they've done a good job. And so like, there's, there's no hard feelings, but there's something to be said about just editing your own footage. Yeah. Because even if I have someone else edit, I still review it and I, I come back and I make changes that take not as much time, but I spend half as much time. So instead of spending 30 hours on a video, I pay someone to do the edits. And then seven days later, I get to spend 15 hours doing it right. instead of 30. Right. I get it. Well, and I mean, it's never going to be exactly how you want it unless you do it yourself. So yeah. if, if you're really into what that look or feel or content is, is about, you got to do it yourself. You yeah. And I don't, to. I don't want it to be like a produced thing. Yeah. I don't want it to, you know, I don't, it I'm seems so, yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm so antithetical. Yeah. I'm just not into big productions on this stuff. It's, it's gotta be, yeah. it's gotta feel organic, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so back to these questions, is there a piece of gear that hasn't been created that you'd like to see created? Um, I, it's kind of been created, but, uh, I really think having, this is what, this is what I envision. I would like, uh, drones that you can mount a moving mirror to. They've done static mirrors, but they haven't done, I haven't seen moving mirrors. So, uh, a quiet drone electrically powered that uh, you can mount a payload on of you know two to three pounds for a mirror a moving mirror assembly and there's so many things with like the center of gravity on a small drone that's small enough to be quiet but have the mirror is a large enough target to be able to hit either with lasers or that that's my that's my one piece of gear you know that Nils? i would kill for mm, i don't know so nils so. is nils is one of the founders of flying pig systems whole hog Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, went on to create a bunch of other companies, but he's a real techie, nerdy guy, super smart guy. And um, so he has a company called Verge Arrow, which is a drone show company now. And um, Nils was actually on the happy hour yesterday. Anyways, I could connect you with Nils, and you could talk to him about amazing. this stuff. They make their own drones. Uh, their drones have light sources in them. And, um, mm -hmm. he'd be a great guy to talk about that because not only does he really understand drone technology, he understands the limitations, uh, you know, from a standpoint of regulations and stuff that yep. you can or can't do. He understands lighting. He understands lighting control because he helped develop the hog and hog two and hog mm -hmm. three. And, um, so he'd be a really great guy for you to talk to about that. I'll connect you to through, uh, yeah, through an great. email. Yeah. I'm yeah, not even cool. sure if it's like 
you know, when you're doing these like back of the envelope ca calculations about what you want to exist in the world, it's like, can you make something that is even quiet, that is small enough to not be noticeable, but carry a large enough payload to support something like a moving mirror on it? Yeah. I don't even know if it's physically possible, possible but uh, yeah. Why does that's, the mirror need to move if the drone can move? Because if the drone moves, then the thrust vector changes and then the drone itself will move. Oh, so I the see drone needs to be static and then the mirror would move underneath it. Right. So you could, you could in theory, move the drone up while the mirror is. Yeah. So the mirror, or, like a camera would have to be on a gimbal uh, exactly. as well, because otherwise, like as the wind is shifting and stuff, the, the yeah. thing is constantly moving. Yeah. So and the mirror would become, it would become a big sail for anything in the wind. Yeah. So it would just, the, the surface area of it would just catch it. So yeah. there's like a cut, there's, it's a multi, you know, just like I said, pulling back the, the tears of the the problem and and solving yeah, it one step it's a, at a cool time idea from, though i i uh, i hear whenever i ask people that question i hear unbelievable things and sometimes i hear things that are really really surprising you know like for the longest time people were saying a smaller moving light you know i i need a smaller moving light that does this and this and this and then all of a sudden we've got loads of small moving lights that do those things and then somebody says i want a larger moving light that's got a <laughs> discharge lamp in it and i'm like what yeah where oh, are yeah, you the coming discharge from lamp. with that you know or a moving people, mirror you know yeah yeah do you remember uh the i can't remember what the manufacturer was but it's a called a mini patent and it, or it would uh um, light yeah it was patent, american dj yeah. it was uh glp really glp okay. is the company who created that that was one of the first lights when i like started getting into gear and i was like okay that like that is a funny little invention and i, I admire everything that went into it and yeah. that's kind of what you know yeah no it was the uh, things down the gear rabbit hole yeah it was glp um <laughs> Who was the greatest influence in your career? I think you've already said that. Yeah. Um, it's got to be probably Joe Cole, honestly. Yeah. He, uh, he's a great business owner. Um, he helped me out a lot with giving me a, a bunch of tough love in the beginning because when I came out here, I really didn't know anything and um, just knew that I wanted to learn. And he, he put up with me, you know, showing up at, at calls after I had already been on a, a 12 hour call at a different show and me being tired and him being understanding of everything. Um, he's an awesome designer. Like he is, uh, probably one of the most creative in the space of like corporate events and, and doing these really like, uh, he, <laughs> he uses a lot of curve trust. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a lot of very, um, unique looking stuff that he puts together. Mm -hmm. And so he's, and he, he doesn't get enough credit for, for what he, what he does or what he's well, done. He, you know, just seeing the way you are, he probably put up with a lot of questions too, I would guess. Uh, you'd be surprised. Like I, I really, I hate asking oh, questions. Really? Yeah. I am. I really want to figure out stuff on my own for the most part. Like, Oh wow. Interesting. It, I've been forcing myself to learn Vectorworks like six hours a day. Yeah. And so in the morning I wake up and I do vector works and then the rest of the night is you're YouTube very, videos. Very, very disciplined. That's so that's I, impressive. I barely even, I barely even watch the vector works tutorials. I just like literally just straight into the screen and try to try to create things. Yeah. yeah. 
I just need to get to the point with Vectorworks where I am with MA and then I'll be okay. But you know, the funny thing is you could use your knowledge of social media platforms and YouTube as currency mm -hmm. to learn Vectorworks. But I and don't I know, want again, to because I don't like to leverage those things. I, I want, well, not only that, but I feel like it would be cheating people if, because for example, when I told people, I was like, oh man, I'm learning, I'm like barreling into Vectorworks and it is the biggest pain in my ass. I post on Twitter about it probably like every other day about how I'm uninstalling Vectorworks and it's pissed me off so much. Yeah. But I get messages from people like, hey man, do you want to do like a one-on-one -on -one training thing? And I say no. I think I've only, I've only hit up one of my friends once for an issue that ended up being a bug because I oh. couldn't figure it out for the life of me because eventually I want to get to the point where I'm good enough with Vectorworks or I can do the same thing with MA and not feel like I took anything from anybody to create that content. It's very interesting, uh, very interesting approach and attitude towards it because, <laughs> you know, I mean, for me, I'm just so busy that if I can cut a corner... I'll usually do that. But <laughs> yeah. at the same time, like, you know, some of these people who are coming to me to learn podcasting, if I answer the first series of questions, they come back with a much longer second series of questions yes. and then another third series that's this big that I'm on. Yep. I could be on a call with them or a Zoom call or something for hours. So I always start my first sort of podcast, uh, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, like lesson with... Mm -hmm. Okay, here's the thing. You got to go to YouTube. Let me tell you five things to start searching on YouTube. You know, one, how do I do a podcast? Two, how do I host a podcast? Three, you know, what kind of items do I need to record a podcast? You need yep. to go watch these videos. We're going to talk about them next time I talk to you. All right. Let, let's <laughs> talk homework. again in a couple of days. You know, and if they won't take the time to learn some things on their own, then I'm wasting my time. You know, yep. you can't really teach somebody who won't teach themselves. And then finally, how do you give back? And, and, you know, so I, I, our industry is a very grateful and very, um, giving industry when it comes mm -hmm. to sharing your time, teaching people, helping people, um, you know, like a lot of designers who are older, uh, who have been doing this for a long time, will go back to the, the school, their alma mater, mater or whatever you call that. They'll go back there yeah. and, and they'll become an assistant professor or a professor of lighting uh, or they'll do speaking or they'll just, you know, they'll give to the church that they went to when they were growing up. They'll give them a lighting yeah. package and a lighting design or even just through things like what you're doing. I mean, I'm sure this is the answer anyways, but your YouTube is... It, you know, really is coaching. Uh, yeah. So it's, uh, it's funny, like, yeah, the, the YouTube is the most obvious thing, but it's not, it's not a philanthropic thing. Like, I mean, I get ad revenue from it. Yeah. I am able to, you know, get support that way. But, um, really, I think, uh, the real answer to, to that question is, um, and, and I try, I, I'm one of those people, like I get actually really, really annoyed when I see people post about the good things that they do or like the, how, how magnanimous they are. It's like, it just, it bugs me to no end. So I'd never, I've, I don't think I've previously ever talked about like things that I do or, um, you know, who I donate to or anything like that. But right. I have a very, a very like, um, very regular set of donations for various organizations that 
I leave as hundred percent anonymous. Yeah. Um, so that's one way that I do it. Um, another way is it, it, this is like one of the luck of the draw things with, um, people who send me messages because, uh, people see me as like some in like God tier level person in the industry when I'm really not, but I, still take the time as much as I can. If I, if I'm, you know, don't mean to be crass, but if I'm literally just sitting in the bathroom on my phone, yeah. I'll go through, um, two or three random messages of people who send me messages saying, Hey, I'm 15 years old. I have no idea how to do any of this or where to even begin. Is there any like advice you can give? And then I'll just list out basically what I talked about here and, you know, finding, um, finding a place where you can, coil cables, uh, finding a place where you can get some sort of real mentorship, because even though it might may seem like I'm, uh, mentoring people through the screen, it, it doesn't replace like actually getting hands on the it's this, what I do online is purely a, an inspiration for you to learn on your own, not to yeah. you know, just copy paste. Yeah. No, that's amazing. I mean, you know, you're a really very unique individual. Uh, I, I gotta be honest. I didn't expect some of the things that, that have come through on this discussion and you are incredibly laid back, very authentic. Um, thank you. You know, I don't know. Passive is the right word. I, I, you know, to me, you're just a genuinely nice guy who's not, (laughs) you know, as much as you're self-promoting, you're not trying to self-promote. That's, that's almost like a byproduct of what you're really doing, you know, which is sharing. I think you're sharing more than you're, you're promoting. You know, and uh, well, thank you. And it's really incredible. And I've I've uh, I've enjoyed getting to know you for an hour here. I I appreciate Likewise. it very much. You taking the time, and you know, I'll I'll help you on this uh, on this <laughs> MA three thing as much as you don't want help. I'll secretly help yeah. you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And uh, what do you have? Do you have a full size two or a light? I have uh, a light and a couple um, little odds and ends like nodes and things oh, like okay. that. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so yeah. much, Christian. And Thanks, uh, certainly if there's ever anything I can do to help you out or whatever, you know, and take care of yourself during this crazy time. I mean, at least yeah. unlike some others, you've got something that you can really focus your energy on. Yeah. The, the B plan became the A plan real quick. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny yeah. how that works? <laughs> well, you have an awesome day and be safe. Be well. Thank you so much. You as well. Sweet, sweet child